ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Coming up, Lav and I talk unification of the world's top tours and what's next for the PGA and European tours. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast brought to you by the new P770 from TaylorMade. Why practice a draw if you've got a fade? If you can hit it high, why master the stinger? Because the key to better golf is having options you can count on. That's why TaylorMade took everything they learned, making P790, the forged face, the speed foam, and all of the DNA, and put it into a smaller package. Introducing P770, let the sibling rivalry begin. Available at your local golf retailer or TaylorMadeGolf.com. Use promo code GOLFCHANNEL for free two-day shipping on any order. Lav, welcome back. Uh, glad to see you made it home from Georgia. I'm guessing you had a good uh, Super Bowl for Dad's Day is what you called it. I did. I wanted to begin the show. Uh, no, nope, we're not just, doing that. Just, with just uh, how go ahead and mute his mic, Simon. Go ahead and stop him right now. I just wanted just, to welcome him in. With just how successful it was. However, I've been told that I have to wait. Uh, we'll get to it. Yes, we'll get we, to it. We'll get to it. Yes, I am. I am back home. I'm. I'm not driving, unlike last week. So I do. I do apologize to all of our uh, uh, loyal listeners who who braved the poor audio that apparently we had last week. I think the only person you really need to apologize is your poor wife, who she had to listen to that for I don't know. Let's guess sixty miles of bad driving down I seventy five. I'm guessing. Uh, that was I twenty going from okay. uh, Eatonton to Atlanta. But yes, yeah, same. Same, same issue, about 60 miles, uh, and she didn't really want to talk to me after that either. I wouldn't think so. I'll let you do your weird, weird turkey flex at the end of this. But before we get to that, we actually had news last week. The European Tour and the PGA Tour announced what was called a landmark strategic alliance. There was a lot to this. I, I've spent the last two or three days trying to pick it apart, trying to figure out exactly what was going on. As best I can tell, it looked like the Rain Group, which was the money management firm that was that is behind the Premier Golf League. Lots of money, lots of big ideas made a move for the European tour recently that they made an offer and it was a very attractive offer. And from what the commissioner of the European tour said that they had been talking with Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA tour for years, but this deal came together in 72 hours without having a lot of details. What was your first reaction? Lev? Well, there was certainly a, a lot to unpack. The, my first reaction was that this should be a death knell to the premier golf league. Uh, which had tried unsuccessfully to lure the top-ranked players in the world. John Rahm, Brooks Kepka, Roy McIlroy were among those who came out right right around the Players' Championship, ironically enough, right around when, when golf shut down, as coming out and saying that they weren't going to support it and they were going to have to to find their stars elsewhere. That was my first reaction, is that um, it certainly seems like that upstart group is going to have trouble 
uh, actually launching in 2022 as they had hoped. The second thing is that this seemed inevitable, not just because of the pandemic and how um, it, it put both tours, the PGA and the European tours in some uh, financial difficulties, certainly the European tour. So uh, more so just because the pockets are deeper on the PGA tour. Um, but I think it was in, in, inevitable in the sense that we're, we're eventually going to have a world tour. I know that's been talked about for more than a decade and I know it's probably maybe even a decade away, but we're, we're eventually going to get to that point where the best players in the world are playing around the globe on hopefully varying different golf courses and, and, and bringing out the best in them. So I think we're eventually getting towards that. And this was a big first step, even though you have a lot of uh, business jargon, like commercial opportunities and media rights and scheduling, uh, eventually we're going to get to the idea finally of a world tour. I, I don't, I agree with 95% of that. I don't know if it's the end of the PGL, at least as we know it simply because, and this is there's the way it's been left. explained to me. Well, there's money. And where there's money, there's lots and lots of money. And where there's that kind of money, there's always hope. And that's that's the line that a player gave me months ago before the pandemic when this was sort of reached ahead when we were in Mexico for the World Golf Championship. Where there's money, there's always hope. And we have an idea. That being said, I, I, I would tend to agree. I think the pandemic probably sped some things up specifically for the European Tour who – they had done a very good job of cutting their niche, doing these Rolex series events and getting their eight or nine weeks a year that they could own on the professional golf calendar and kind of seeding everything else to the PGA Tour and the majors and everything else along the way. But this has sort of thrown all of that sideways. I was talking with one European Tour player this weekend about it, and it really comes down to finances. And the European Tour had just been backed into such a poor financial corner. I'm not saying they were going under. I know I've read reports that suggest that. I don't think that's the case. I think this was more of where are we going to be five years from now? Take this year out as an anomaly that look, all right, this has been terrible for everybody involved, but could we survive another one or two of these seasons? And I don't think the European tour could. I don't know many tours that actually can outside the PGA tour. And it, it accelerated because I, my guess is Jay Monahan has been in Keith Pelly's ear, the commissioner of the European tour for a long time about trying to make this work for a number of different reasons. Just look at last week's field at the RSM Classic, or two weeks ago, and you had some of the top Europeans play, playing. Now, granted, the schedule is different, and you can make arguments one way or the other, but you're clearly getting more and more of the top Europeans who are going to want to stay in the United States, particularly in times like these when they are less motivated than ever to climb on an airplane and go five time zones to wherever and play for a fraction of the purse that you can play for that week in Georgia or wherever the PGA Tour event is. So, yes, I think you're absolutely right. A world tour is is uh, is inevitable. Tito would agree. Hello, Tito. Uh, my, hello, Tito. I believe it would be an inevitable somewhere down the line. That being said, I don't know if I'm willing to write off in the Premier Golf League just yet because, like I said, there is a lot of money and a lot of powerful people. But isn't there a lot of money about to be pumped into the, the PGA Tour and the FedEx Cup race in terms of bonuses and purses? I mean, that was one of the – one of not not necessarily a fallout, but one of the the consequences of PGL even surfacing was that it it, it forced the PGA Tour then to pump more into their FedEx Cup pool to be to be appealing to the top players. And I think that's still to be solved over the next two to five years, especially once the media rights money comes in, uh, which is going to be a billion dollars plus. Uh, I mean, you're you're looking at persons on the PGA Tour going to be going up exponentially. So, yeah, you might be able to chase an easy. 10 to 20 million dollars and, and tito's clearly fired up about the prospect of, of having not like the pgs on the on the pgl 
Um, but but you are going to have absolutely enormous purses on the PJ Tour soon. It might not be in 2021, but but it's coming, and that's one of the one of the effects that that the PGL had. And I would agree with that to a certain degree. I think the money from what Jay Monahan told the players, again, this was before the pandemic in March, that the, the new TV contract, the mega money, as, as it was called, is going to move purses. It's going to move bonus money for FedEx Cup, everything closer to what we see for the PGL. The one thing that sort of stuck out to me in this story is if what they're talking about is something close to the PGL concept where you get the best players together more often. And what were very likely be limited field events. I mean, this was the selling point. Granted, the Premier Golf League was taking it to an extreme with a team concept and and having a very, very limited number of events each year with some sort of big finale. But if you're going to move closer to that, that creates an issue for the PGA Tour because it's right there in the mandate. I mean, it's to create playing opportunities. And that doesn't mean just for the top 50 players in the world. It means for all the members, which right now roughly 225 members. So I do think there's going to be an issue down the road when you start talking about a world golf tour compared to what we have right now, which is a PGA tour that f- tries to serve all of its members. And that's always a difficult pull because you do have the journeymen who seem to have just as much say sometimes as the top players do, which doesn't make a lot of sense because those guys aren't driving the tour. But like I said, it's in the mandate. Uh, the other thing that Keith Pelly said that was fascinating to me was he talked about how the professional golf world had been so fractured in recent years that in, in a in a weird sort of way that the pandemic actually pulled them all together. I've heard Roy McIlroy talk about this lately too, that having to work together just to get this scheduled to fit, you know, the, the puzzle pieces to fit together properly and to get some sort of semblance of a season, everybody had to sit down at the table and everyone had to give a little bit. I don't know if all of the five families, let's call them felt comfortable doing that in the past when we're talking about the PGA tour European Tour, PG of America, Augusta National, RNA, USGA, all, all of them to sit down at the table and to give a little bit and to try to make this all work. If that's going to be the case, I think it's very good for golf because even if you don't want to call it a world tour, if you come up with a tour that everything fits together more seamlessly and allows players to create schedules where, okay, if you want to go back to Europe and spend a month competing in Europe or two months competing in Europe, we're going to set up a schedule to, to help you do that. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk through what this world tour looked like because, essentially, the elite international players. I'm thinking of a Roy McIlroy, a Justin Rose, a Henrik Stenson, guys like that. They've they've been doing this for the past decade now, and if you look at the European tour schedule, I know 2020 was a little bit of a mismatch, but but 2019, and you you brought it up earlier in the podcast, the European tour established these Rolex Series events, which have enormous purses compared to every other event on the European tour. So they're, they're already trying to appeal to the elite player to steal them from, away from the PJ tour for a couple of weeks. And then the rest of the tournaments I'm looking at like a, the Scandinavian invitation. It's got 1.5 euros as your purse, as opposed to the uh, Italian open, a Rolex series event, which is 7 million euros. I mean, that's a huge difference. And that would be appealing for a top player to go over and play. So the European tour has already set aside saying these events are the most important. And I don't think it's all that challenging to incorporate that with what the PGA Tour is already doing with their schedule. I mean, the PGA Tour almost plays every single week uh, during a calendar year. You can still have events just throwing out like the RSM and you can still have Houston. You can still have Shriners. You can still have those events for let's call them the tour middle class, but you can create a 
PGL style event, which would essentially be a world golf championship event and on a world tour. And so if you, if you look at what the golf calendar could look like when you Mm -hmm. go through January through December, I mean, you're looking at essentially a PGA tour schedule just with fitting in some European tour Rolex series style events along the way. I think the, the most logical spot for those tournaments is in June and July. That's where you can play the Italian opens, the Spanish opens, the Irish opens, the Scottish opens after the U S open leading into the open championship. There's a little bit of a window for opportunity there. And then I think the big one Rex and the PJ tour has struggled ever since they started this wraparound schedule 2020, notwithstanding is to have good fields in these fall tournaments, not just having an opportunity for the corn Ferry tour grads to go out and get their footing in for the veterans to, to accrue some FedEx cup points so that they can keep their card the following year. That's kind of what the fall has been. Now this year has been different because the fields have been strong. Guys have wanted to play They're You know, they've been playing all summer. They want to keep playing. They want to have a points for the super season, but typically that's how it's been. And the, the PGA tour has, has really struggled. So I think there's an opportunity with this world tour concept to go to Asia, to go to the Middle East, to go to Australia, to have these different venues and opportunities for world-class players to gather at a time of year that they typically wouldn't. And so I think that's a win for the top players who are going to be playing for big money. I think also for guys like us who cover this sport and, and fans who want to see it on TV. Players just having a little bit different tests and not just your standard run-of-the-mill PJ Tour setup. And I think those that's the ebb and flow you can envision. So leading into the Open Championship, I, I can definitely see going and, and playing those those events in Ireland or Scotland or Italy, whatever the case may be. And as we get towards October, November, I can see a month perhaps in the Middle East where we end up right now in the race to Dubai and Abu Dhabi and the rest of these events you know, in South Africa. And you could carve out two months out of the year out of the PGA Tour schedule that could be dedicated to this. Now, the, the outlier in all of this is fascinating to me because the one thing that this doesn't address is how many times do you have to explain this to a, a normal golf fan that the PGA tour doesn't own the rights to nearly all of the game's biggest events outside the players championships and the president's cup, but the four major championships in the Ryder cup, which we can all agree are the five biggest events in golf are owned by other entities. But this would open the door for the possibility for the PGA tour to at least own a portion of the Ryder Cup because the Ryder Cup is owned jointly by the European Tour and the PGA of Europe and the PGA of America when it's played on in the United States. Now that could open a fascinating scenario to me where the PGA Tour suddenly has a stake in one of these marquee events and how engaged they would be. I mean, we've seen how engaged they will be for their products. I mean, the President's Cup, even though it's a wildly one-sided event year in and year out, they do a very good job of marketing that and turn it into an important event. For them the to be involved in the championship, I mean, I mean they, yes, they, the they do they do a great job of making big events feel big. Yes, whether and it's, even bigger, whether it's a major or whether it's as good as the Ryder Cup is subject for debate. I think we can all agree that it's not. However, when you're on site, when you're actually experiencing it, it's a huge deal for the so for the PJ Tour, as you mentioned, to have a stake in that in the Ryder Cup uh, would be a really big deal and be a, a fascinating a little wrinkle. Well, and especially on on the European side. I mean, if you suddenly inject the European Tour and the Ryder Cup Committee with all the resources that the PGA Tour has, and I mean, in Paris, it was amazing how big the event has gotten. And it gives you an idea of how much bigger it's just going to get in the future. It is by far the biggest event in golf. And that's not taking anything away from the Masters or the U.S. Open or anything else. You and I have, have been now to enough Ryder Cups in the modern era 
to be a little shocked every time we show up. And every time I show up to one of these Ryder Cups, it's bigger. There's more people there. It's just, as you said, it's an event. Whereas now you start putting the PGA Tour stamp on it, it's only going to help it. I think this would be a move in the right direction for that event. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a win win, not just for golf, but certainly for the European Tour, which is which is going to struggle. And they they've already started the process of having these events of haves and have nots. And so when you throw in the added Ryder Cup wrinkle and you throw in all the other type of PGA Tour involvement, you know Jay Monahan's now going to be on the board of directors and is going to have a vote on anything the European Tour does. Uh, I think it's all. Uh, very interesting. Rex, uh, the PJ Tour, and the reason why that was such big news is that there was nothing else going on in golf. There was a Ladies European Tour event. There was a European Tour event in South Africa, which was won by your boy Christian Bezedenhut, uh, who has now cracked the top 50 in the world. Such a good dude. But the but the PJ Tour, Rex, is playing its final event of the calendar year 2020. Of course, it's a super season, so so your FedEx Cup points just don't get wiped clean. Uh, and next week, I'm sure on the podcast, we will hand out some 2020 awards for the PGA Tour calendar year. But until then, be fun. we have one more event to go. Uh, world number one, Dustin Johnson, probably needs a vacation from his vacation, uh, which is the reason why he's not playing in Mayakoba as he had said he would uh, pre-Masters. He signed up for this event. He's not there. Still got 46 world ranking points. It's the best Mayakoba field has ever had. You have Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, Tony Finau, Victor Hovland, all in the field. Rex, what are you looking forward to this week? Uh, well, first off, Brooks and Gary Woodland are fascinating to me because they're both essentially struggling with the same injury. They both have the same, essentially the same hip injury. They're essentially trying to hold off going to the doctor and going into the knife as long as they can. They, they both seem to be playing sort of that same level of golf because they, they've been held back by that hip injury. Now, they will have some time between now and, and we get started back in, in January. And both of these players are very, very good not athletes. Enough, not enough time to go under the knife. No, no, no. And I think that's the bottom line here is they do not want to go under the knife. And I can certainly empathize with that because no one wants to lose an entire year, especially after the year that everyone just had, especially Brooks, who was, I mean, he, he was on pace to become his generation's in the world at the start of the year. I know. And, and and look how far he has fallen. And it's all because of injury. I mean, I'm not reading anything into this other than he just hasn't been able to practice. He just can't physically do the things that made him the number one player of the world and the most dominant player in majors in recent years. And, and Gary Woodland, again, the U.S. Open champion, I think he was on a very, very good trajectory as well. Very similar injuries. It's interesting that neither one of them want to go into the knife. I want to see how they can close out this season and move ahead to next season just with the idea of you're not going to do it. If you're, if you're not going to commit to surgery in a long-term rehab, then you've got to find a way to make this work. I don't know if they can. I'm fascinated to see if they can. Yeah, Brooks certainly seems to be on the men, right? Like he came back after two months away at the CJ Cup. Looked okay. Like he didn't do anything spectacular. Still finished inside the top 30 of a limited field. Then his last two starts, tied for fifth in Houston, uh, really played well over the weekend. And then the Masters, he was, he was in the mix throughout the entire week and ended up uh, tie for seventh and, and didn't seem all that uh, gung-ho uh, about his finish there. He certainly expected more. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Brooks is playing uh, this week. He's dropped, he's dropped all the way to number 12 in the world. As we mentioned, he was the number one player in the world in early February, and he is down uh, to number 12. Rex, one of those guys, speaking of world rankings, uh, who has absolutely plummeted this year, and that guy is Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler ended 2019 at number 23 in the world. He is right on that top 50 cutoff at number 49 in the world rankings. The top 50 cutoff, of course, is the 
it's really the barometer of, of who's elite uh, in the game of golf. It, of course, gets you into the Masters in 2021, um, some WGC events. Uh, you've got, what, top 60 for the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, PJ Championships, top 100. But, look, it's, it's a big deal to be inside the top 50. Every player wants to do it by the end of the year. Uh, what's your impression of the way Ricky has played this year? He's going through some swing changes with John Tillery, but, but what have you seen out of Ricky in 2020? You mentioned John Tillery, and uh, full disclosure, he is one of the swing coaches that I truly admire on the PGA Tour. I spent a lot of time talking with he John not, just about the costume. You. He has not helped you, however. No, no, not me. I, I don't know that, let's face it, I'm beyond help on that front. So, no, this isn't personal at all. Like, I'm not hanging my hat on his ability to fix his swing or make a, a, a swing great. However, I, I did hear it mentioned last week, and, and I traded some text with him on uh, two weeks ago at the RSM Classic, and I traded some text with him because Kevin Kisner, who he also coaches, was right there in the hunt. And I, I found it interesting that people were sort of questioning whatever it is he and Ricky are trying to work on. And it, I, I went at this from a different perspective. And if you just look at it, strokes game putting in 2020, Ricky ranked 178th. If you look at 2019, he ranked 60th. If you look at 2017, he was first on the PGA Tour. Statistically, he's actually improving his ball striking tee to green. It's his putting. Now, maybe there's something about he's not hitting it close enough, although strokes gain tee to green would suggest he is. I think statistically, this is a loss of confidence because I don't know if you can point to anything physically other than you took, you, you just wiped it up. It's, it's the way we always gloss over things. Oh, he's going through a swing change. This is going to take some time. I don't know if that's correct in this particular case because I think you can point to, okay, this swing is producing these kind of results, tee to green. And yet when he's on the greens, he's not nearly as proficient as he was the last time he won on the PGA Tour and the last time he was safely inside that top 50 in the world. So I just don't know where I would put my my finger on what the problem seems to be because it seems more mental than physical. Well, look, and we see it all the time is that when a player is going through a full swing change, some area of his game is probably going to suffer because he's not dedicating as much time and energy into addressing that part of his game. What And so what eventually becomes a strength then becomes a weakness. And I think that's that's what we've seen uh, for, for Ricky Fowler, certainly uh, during this 2020-2021 season. Are, are we or have we just kind of over overestimated him? I mean, is is Ricky Fowler just not that great? Like, I, I know he he got up to fourth in the world after he won in Abu Dhabi in, in 2016. But if you look at the golf landscape in 2015-2016 in when Ricky was at his best, like it was kind of a dire, dire period in golf. Tiger was away. You were having Jordan kind of bust on the scene. Justin Thomas was just about to come on. I mean, Ricky Fowler has only won five times in the PGA Tour. Colin Morikawa, who's six or seven years younger, already has won three times. Yes, Ricky uh, is, is a top 10 machine. I think statistically 72 top 10s in 2255 events, like that's more than a 25% top 10 rate, which is really good. But did we just have too high expectations for Ricky? I, I honestly think we might have. I feel like I need to save you from yourself right here because I feel like you're about to use the O word. I feel like you're about to throw overrated out there. So I'm uh, trying to save you from yourself. I think I think he's been overrated for a long time. However, the quality I don't think of that's his correct. I, I the, the quality that's the quality an incorrect. His, the quality of his five wins are very good. I mean, you're looking at a Players Championship where he went on just a crazy run and then won in a playoff. He's won a FedEx Cup playoff event. He, he won uh, against a good field at Wells Fargo for his first one back in 2012. He's won the Honda. He's won Phoenix. Like those are those are all good tournaments. It's not like he's he's mopping up on on some C-level event. Uh, 
Um, I think, I think when you have a player who is as marketable as Ricky is and as uh, omnipresent as Ricky is, I think we expect more of him, uh, fair, fairly or not, probably unfairly in Ricky's case. Completely but unfairly. Do you, but do you honestly think that he's a top five caliber player in the world? Uh, probably not right now. I mean, well, he obviously isn't well, right obviously now. Not I right don't now, think, but I'm saying at, at the peak of his power, was he a top five player? I think he probably was for some of the reasons you pointed out. We were maybe going through a lull, you know, that post tiger lull as we got to, you know, this group of dominant players who were, you know, you have a little bit more congestion now at the top, in my opinion, between DJ and Brooks and, and John Rahm and Roy McIlroy and Jordan and JT Bryce, and keep going. Hello. Bryson, hello. You can keep going down the list. I know I'm more, I just wanted to caution you against using overrated simply because I have done this before. I, I've asked a player, do you feel like you were overrated? And, and that player just kind of glared at me and, and turned it back and are you overrated? And then it went to, have you underachieved in your career? And well, I actually feel like I've overachieved in my career if I'm being completely honest. However, I see where they were coming from in this particular case, because in Ricky's case, and, and I think I've covered almost all of those victories. I mean, he did have to overcome a lot, but I would argue that he has probably maximized his potential since he left college. And it, because if you just look at the pure skill set, I don't know that he had, I mean, we can go down the list of players and what they brought to the table. You know, Jason Day was that beautiful combination of, of Roy McElroy and, and Jordan Spieth, right? He could make every 25 power, footer and power. And touch, and power. Yeah. Rory could overpower fields with his driving. We can keep going down the list. When you look at Ricky's game, yeah, he had a great short game. But it was never – it wasn't like Jordan Spieth-esque. It was a good short game. It, it wasn't good enough like to, to go on one of those Jordan runs. I just don't think that the skill set was there. And where this gets blown out of shape is you touched on it. He did a very good job, and his management team did a very good job of marketing him. And he has made a very comfortable living being able to do that. But I don't think you can confuse the two. One is just because he has a good personality. People connect with him. He wears funny clothes. They like to wear funny hats. And the other is, I just don't know how good he was ever going to – I just don't know how they were ever going to stack up. Uh, I do want to ask you, since you you brought him up, and we we probably should have A-Rob on here to describe this, I mean to explain this. Colin Morikawa slipped three places last week in the rankings. Did you see that? Slipped down to eighth from fifth. Can you explain that to me? I mean, it has to be something with his divisor. I'm, I'm sure it's the, it, it has, it's absolutely the divisor. I'm just trying to figure out like there, you're not supposed to have these huge swings, especially when there's no other events that week or PGA I mean, tour events. I mean, the, the poor guys won twice this year, uh, including the uh, PGA poor championship, guy. which of course you covered. But if, if you, if you, if you had to say right now, who's a better player, Webb Simpson or Colin Morikawa, who would you say? I think Webb was more consistent this year. Now, if okay, you took so you me in a head to head matchup, uh, well, yeah, I mean, if you just look at the, over the course of the year, Webb had a really consistent year. I mean, if DJ doesn't do DJ things at Eastlake, you can put Webb in the conversation for player of the year. You could. I, I mean, he was in the conversation. Uh, he he would have yes. been in like he would have been like four doors over having to shout through the walls uh, to be as part of that conversation. But but sure. No, no, could, no there would have been a window the there. He would have been able to roll down the window and, and hear and heard the conversation. But he, he would have maybe been in another car, but he could have heard the conversation. He was more consistent. Over the course of this year, and granted, he did not finish that way. I, I, I've been making you wait for so long. You sent me pictures. I will actually tweet them out because you were so proud of it. Uh, Super Bowl day for dads. How'd it work out for you, pal? So, full disclosure, it was a little bit. It was a little bit of a headache. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. We were we were at the in-laws' oh, wow. house, and they didn't have some of my usual grilling utensils. So I wasn't. I wasn't about to make excuses. 
Um, but you know, I was preparing the best I could. Didn't really have a didn't really have a knife. Like didn't have a cutting excuses. board. Uh, didn't have a cutting board. Um, you know, things were a little tight in the fridge, and then the power went out. Rex, the power was out for about four and a half hours on Thanksgiving morning. Now, for most people uh, like you, who's never even heard of a brine, uh, this this would be a problematic scenario because if your fridge goes down, your oven's down, you can't shove the the turkey in the oven to cook it. That's a big problem, right? Because because you don't have any creativity in terms of how you're going to cook that bird. However, as we talked about on last week's podcast, I was going to smoke this bird. So Rex, I brine my turkey for about 36 hours uh, to, in- to, to infuse B-R-I-N-E. And just brine. in case you're yep. curious. To, yep. to infuse uh, some moisture and some flavor in the bird. And then I went the extra step, Rex. Once, you know, of course, you wash the brine off so it's not too salty. I injected it into the breast with butter i injected with butter that was a new wrinkle for 2020 i wasn't sure how it was going to turn out threw threw it on the smoker cooked it about uh two two and a half hours uh at about 300 degrees trying to get that skin uh, as crispy as possible and rex i gotta tell you and i don't i don't want to boast sounds like this was the best turkey i have ever made Hands down. Uh, that's funny because you set this up for failure. So I'm interested. That took a weird turn at the end. My father-in-law, who doesn't really praise anything in terms of food. He just wants it on the plate and he's going to eat it. He <laughs> he could not be more effusive in his praise of how good this turkey was. So I really felt like a king. You know, we kind of we, we weathered the storm, literally, of not having power for four and a half hours. I cooked some cinnamon rolls on the Weber kettle grill. I fired up the smoker, threw on the bird, and we had a great Thanksgiving. It was a huge success. Uh, and I'm really curious to hear how your non-brined, non-injected, non-smoked turkey at home went that you didn't probably even participate in. I did not. No, I, I didn't do turkey. Although I have to give it. Simon, the, the, the joke didn't land in the end because he was proud of himself. But Simon came over the chat with the pilgrims didn't have power, which is which is very good. I mean, you I can't make that excuse. I would have I would have fit right in. Yeah, yeah, because they didn't have power, nor did they have the fancy egg grill or anything else that went along with it. But I'm glad it worked out. No, I told you I didn't I don't have anything to do with the turkey. And we ended up having Thanksgiving dinner Wednesday night, just just the family, because we, we haven't done night. that. And Wednesday night, just with the family, and then we have some friends, you know, that in the neighborhood. So we had a Friendsgiving the next night, but she wanted the turkey and the, the carcass, not to get graphic, to make gumbo. And the but no, the best part of it is like I, I can leave it or take the turkey it's fine I, I want the turkey sandwich at the end of the end of the day on the white bread but what i really want is the turkey gumbo and that's what I, that's what we got last night that's the payoff so and you again, had a friend's had giving to do with were, were you were you a, were you a, at a, a hosting a covid super spreader event we were not we were all I, no it was like a neighborhood thing so we all kind of went out in our driveways and, and everyone sort of distance as best they could no we, we tried to do it the right way we, this isn't our first rodeo trying to do things how did she how did she cook the turkey age. Uh, again, just in the oven. I don't know. I mean, bake would be no, my guess. Is that the there way you no do brine? it? There was no brine. No one. There was no brining. I asked specifically, and she just rolled her eyes. And then I said, "Well, Lavender, uh, he's brining," and her reaction was, "Who?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, joke never gets sold. Uh, how did it never the turkey taste? Uh, our turkey was dry. very good. I'm sure it wasn't as good probably, as yours. It, it looked pro- good on the grill. Was, you, you should. It was. It was probably dry. Was it dry? You can say it. She's. She's not going to listen. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was dry, but most turkeys are dry. Like, That's I wanted the to problem fry because it. people don't brine. 
All right. That that sounds like fun. I did a pork butt. Thanks Thanksgiving gets such a bad rap. Uh no, I wanted to get a fryer. Like I actually wanted to give it a shot, but it didn't work out. Anyway, then I smoked a pork butt. I kind of wussed out on the the fried turkey. I'm I'm gonna do that next year. How did the how did the pork butt turn out? Absolute fantastic. And then yesterday, as uh, we had a bunch of layer, uh, leftovers, I did a pork butt burrito. Oh, like my. Yeah, full pork burrito. It was very fancy. While we while we look yeah. ahead, I'm not sure how long we're going to be doing these podcasts in December. What do you what do you typically Let's do for, for for Christmas cooking? Uh, we go over. Her family lives close by, so we always do it with her. So we don't do a turkey for Christmas. We usually just do a ham. Oh, Christmas ham. We'll be doing that. We'll be doing a beef tenderloin. Uh, I like to do a smoked prime rib for New Year's Day. Uh, I mean, December's oh, wow. de- December's popping off. So uh, it's a cooking month on the on the on the on the Labner grills. I mean, there's so many good holiday foods that you can make. You 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 want to make them all. Like I would have loved to do another Cajun style turkey, maybe maybe fried one. But there's there's so many other things I got to get to. All right. Well, let's pace yourself. Number one. Number two, you may want to get an appointment to get your cholesterol checked on January 2nd. After plan what I'm have, pretty 13, sure we're going to do one. Would I have 14 egg salad sandwiches? Yeah. So I I'm pretty sure so. next week we'll do it. We'll do an award show. I'm going to tease to that. And then we had Tiger Woods, I hear, might be playing later uh, in December. So yes, I'm sure we'll, have, we have at least two another, more of these. Another, so pace yourself. He's got another week or two. But yeah, we can we can touch base during the PNC championship week just exactly what we're going to be having on the grill during christmas week all right that'll do it check us next week we're having an award show it'll be fun teats and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference we come to work every day to do it the right way even if it's the hard way because if it's not right for us it's not right for you deets and watson it's a family thing since 1939 at amica insurance We know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.